Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Well, um, I'm starting a new series tonight. I'm in the series mode. So this is going to be a three-part series called The Abundance of Grace. And this is actually something that's been on my heart for a while, um, three aspects of grace. And um, God kind of showed this to me several years ago, and I've, I've kind of mentioned it briefly, but I thought it'd be neat to, to talk about these three important aspects of grace and just really expound upon them. But I love this title, The Abundance of Grace. And whenever you see God manifest his grace, God show his grace, it's always in abundance. And last Sunday, I took up the offering, I talked about um, Peter when he first met Jesus in Luke 5, and, and he was just cleaning his nets. He had been fishing all night, didn't catch anything, and Jesus told him to go try one more time. So he had worked and toiled all night. He told this to Jesus, right? But then just, he said, nevertheless, at your word. And he went out there and he threw his net just one time, and there's this abundant picture of grace. Peter, you know, before Jesus, Peter worked to the max, 100% effort. He worked till he could work no more. And the results were zero. That's like righteousness according to the law. That's like legalism. That's like trying to, trying to get to God through your own works. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna work and toil all night and come up with nothing in the end. But that picture of grace, that picture of Jesus, nevertheless, at your word, Peter barely worked. He just threw the net one time. And then there's just this, this abundant overflow of fish. Um, I love what the Bible says in Romans 5:17. It says, "For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Jesus really wants us to reign in life. You know, John 10, 10 says, the thief does not come to accept, accept to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundant. I love that he didn't say, I just came to give you life, but I came to give you life and that it would be abundant. And Jesus, whenever he, he showed grace to people, whenever God shows grace to people, Old Testament, New, New Testament, it's always more than enough. It's always abundant. And we're going to kind of talk about the abundance of grace in three aspects. But those two things are required to reign in life. If you want to reign in the abundant life that Jesus has for you, you're going to need to tap into that abundance of grace and also understand the gift of righteousness. I love that word gift. It's something you cannot earn. It's something that you shouldn't even try to earn. It's that, that gift of righteousness. It is so valuable, so priceless, so immeasurable, it would be foolish to try to earn it. If my, if my father wanted to give me the most expensive home in Carter Springs, I looked it up once. At the time, it was like $20 million. If he said, hey, I want to gift this to you, it would be foolish for me to say, well, let me try to pay you back. Like, I, I don't, he knows my salary, you know, I don't, I don't know what kind of loan I could get from a bank with my associate pastor's salary. You know, it would take like, I don't know, 300 years to pay back. 
But not only that, like if I try to pay it back, like if he said, no, well, this, this is an abundant gift, so I'm not just giving you the house, but I'm going to pay the taxes, I'm going to pay for the gardener, I'm going to pay for the cleaner, I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay for, I'm, I'm going to pay for the upkeep of this gift. When God gives you gifts, it's not just, well, now you try to keep up with it on your own. He takes care of the upkeep. And if I just try to take care of the upkeep on it, pay the taxes, pay the water bill, pay the electric bill on a, you know, 20,000 square foot house, you go instantly bankrupt. It'd be foolish to try to do that. So you have to understand that free gift of righteousness. You only receive it through faith in Jesus, the greatest gift that God has ever given mankind. So the three important aspects of grace, this abundant grace I want to talk about, is first of all, tonight I want to talk about grace, first of all, frees you. Second of all, I'll talk about this next week, grace transforms you. And thirdly, grace empowers you. A lot of the body of Christ understands the first one, the, the, the freeing aspect of grace. And I'm going to kind of explain all three a little bit right now. If you're taking notes, this is a great thing to write down, the three important aspects of grace. Because a lot of people understand the first one, but not really the second two. Grace frees you. A great scripture that exemplifies this is Psalm 103, verse 11 and 12. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy. That word mercy in Hebrew is chesed, it's grace. It's the Old Testament word for grace. So great is his mercy, his grace towards those who fear him. That his mercy, that is abundant. As high as the heavens are over the earth, that, that is a picture of his abundant grace. His mercy that towards those who fear him, towards those who are in relationship with him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. Grace frees you. It frees you from your past. It frees you from sin. Amen. But not only that, grace doesn't just free you. Grace also transforms you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. God doesn't just make you look better. Christianity is not just a self-help program. You are a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things. I say all things. All things have become new. Grace transforms you. Lastly, grace empowers you. There's no way you can live that new creation life without the power of God. Grace, Jesus understood that. He said, do not leave Jerusalem until you get the power. You cannot do what I've called you to do. You cannot do what I've transformed you into until you are filled with power. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Grace frees you. Grace transforms you. Grace empowers you. I just want to create a picture for you. Grace frees you. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sin from us. How, how many of you are glad that Jesus has removed sin from you? When you get to heaven, God's not going to look at your old report card. He's not going to look at every bad word you said when you are a kid. He's not going to look at every bad thought you ever thought. He's not going to look at every, every bad deed you ever did. 
As far as the, thank God. There, there is no record of wrongs. There is no record of your sins. As far as the east is from, you know, if God got my report card, Aaron Purdue, grade 35, year 35 of life, my old report card, it would still say sinner at the top. You'd be, you'd be in the special sinner class. Righteousness, yeah, not that great. Emotions, kind of gets angry, easy, you know, like, kind of missing the mark several times. Sinner, orphaned, rejected, sick, poor, defeated, downcast. That's a lot of our report card apart from Jesus, before we meet Jesus. But praise God that the blood of Jesus washed all that away. So a lot of people understand that. Like all of our sins are, are washed away. Praise God. It's like, like taking that report card and it's not, just, it's not just kept in a back file to bring back when you die. To... No, it's, it's like lit on fire. I, I wanted to bring in a report card and light it on fire, but I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> I do want pyro in the church someday. It's, it, it cannot be found. That's how powerful his grace is. All, all your sin, all your mistakes, all, all your past, all your... It cannot be found. There's no record of it. Hallelujah. Amen. That, that, is, that is the gospel. But, but not only that, grace frees you, grace also transforms you. So you're given a new report card, one that you don't deserve. One that says now, Aaron Purdue 35, saint. You are now transformed into a saint. It is biblically wrong to say you are a sinner. Your report card at the top says that you are a saint. It, you, are not, you are no longer an orphan. You should no longer, you are now a son, you are a daughter. You are now accepted, you are healed, you are prosperous, you are victorious, you are joyful. Maybe you weren't that smart before, but now you have the mind of Christ. That way he may instruct you with the things of God. Jesus has become our wisdom, our sanctification, our righteousness. You, have, you are transformed into a new creation. The word Christian means anointed ones. We are anointed because of Christ, the Mashiach, the anointed one. Christian in Greek means anointed ones. So we're transformed into that. That's, that's talking about who you are in Christ Jesus. Here at Karis Christian Center, we, we hear that a lot. That's important. A lot, of people, a lot of people still confess that they're sinners, that they're broke, that they're sick, that they're poor, that they're rejected, that they're, they're struggling with an orphan spirit. That's from the enemy. God does not give you an orphan spirit. He gives you a spirit that cries out, Daddy God. That, that, that rejected spirit, that, that, that is not from God. You need to reject that spirit of rejection. Yes. Yes. Amen. You are accepted in the beloved. 
So you're transformed into that. But lastly, Jesus knows that you cannot do that on your own. It is foolish to try to do this on your own. Grace empowers you. He's the one that empowers you. He's the one that, that, that man, makes it so you can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. He's the one that empowers you to be a witness. He's the one that, that empowers you to, to, to think the thoughts of God, to, to think wisely. Amen. He's the one that empowers us to do that. So grace, it frees us, it transforms us, and it empowers us. And I love, I love what Jesus said in the very first message he ever preached. He preached, and he preached a message of freedom. He said, I came to set the captives free. Grace, grace frees us abundantly. Jesus preached this prophecy in Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. He preached this. He said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus came to set the captives free. And when he did it, he did it in complete abundance. Whenever you see a picture of God's grace, it is always in abundance. Whatever debt that was owed, when God pays it, when God empowers you to pay it, it is over in abundance. And there are pictures of this from the Old Testament throughout the New Testament. God's heart has always been the same. God has always been a redeemer. He has always been a savior. He has always wanted to help people. He has always been a God of grace, wanting to manifest his grace, manifest his incredible mercy to people. And a great picture of this is in 2 Kings. Turn your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to read about the, the widow, the widow's oil in Elisha, 2 Kings 4. And my kind of first point on grace freeing you, the abundance of grace, grace freeing you abundantly is this, that grace pays every debt abundantly. So it says here in 2 Kings 4, starting in verse 1, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, your servant, my husband, is dead. You know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. The creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. That is a picture of the curse. If you read about the curse in Deuteronomy 28, this is a, a direct picture of the curse, a direct prophecy of the curse, that, that your own children would be taken away as slaves. This family was so impoverished, they were so... The curse was being manifest in their life. That, that curse of the law, it was impacting not just that man, but generations after him. You know, part of the curse is financial destitution. It is poverty, but the blessing of Jesus. We see that here that the curse was starting to impact generations. The blessing of Jesus, the blessing of God's grace, it always impacts generations. God wants to bless generations. God wants to bless entire families. Families are very special to God. 
Fathers, mothers, children, sons, and daughters are very close to God. God loves to work through families. He loves to bless families. He loves to save families. He loves to pay debts for families. He loves to shed abroad his abundant grace to families. He likes to hit people so hard with his grace that their kids feel it. That generations feel it. So she's saying, this, this is a serious situation. My, my husband was in debt. He was in such great debt that now it's affecting my kids. They're going to be enslaved because of this. This is a curse. And she goes to Elisha. And I love what Elisha said to her. What shall I do for you? What an uncompassionate thing to say. What do you want? What, what can I do for you? Silver and gold, have I none? But such as I have, this, this is why I know Elisha was a true prophet, because he wasn't pointing this woman to himself. He was pointing this woman to God, to his grace, to God is your answer. Tell me, and I, I love what he asked her, tell me, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? She said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. I, I believe that Elisha, Elisha knew the Torah. He knew the blessings and the cursings. He knew, he, knew, he knew that this woman should not be cursed, that her son should not be cursed. He knew that God wanted to bless them. So he was thinking, I believe that he was thinking of, of the curses and the blessings found in Deuteronomy 28. Verse 8, what do you have in your house? And she just said, hey, I have, I have a jar of oil. I have a jar with a little bit of oil in it, not much else. And he's probably thinking, hey, I was just reading this the other day. Deuteronomy 28, verse 8, the Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses. She didn't have a lot. Her, her storehouse was a jar with a little bit of oil in it. But he knew that God wanted to bless her in her storehouses. God, God wants to bless you in your storehouse. We see that Old Testament, New Testament, that word storehouse, it's used twice in the Old Testament. It's used there in Deuteronomy 28, verse 8, the Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. I lie, I, he knows this because he's going to say, you need to do this. It's going to be your storehouse. It's going to be your hand. It can't be my storehouse. It can't be my hand. It has to be your storehouse, your hand. Your, your descendants' hands have to do this thing. That is how the blessing works. That is what I want you. I want you to tap into this commanded blessing that God has for you. He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. That's one time that word storehouse, a psalm is used. It's used one other time in Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty. Your storehouses will be filled with plenty. God's heart is for your storehouses, for your barns, for your jars, for anything, any type of container that you have to be filled with plenty and that your vats will overflow with new wine. I love this. He probably knew that proverb as well. 
I want, so he said this, verse three, 2 Kings 4, verse three, go borrow vessels from everywhere. He's saying, that's your only storehouse. Get some more storehouses. I'm not quite sure how this storehouse commanded blessing thing works, but I think you could probably borrow some storehouses. That's all you have is a jar. Go borrow some, get as many as you can because I believe that commanded blessing God is gracious. It's not just going to be the one storehouse that you personally own. He's going to fill all the storehouses that whatever your hand touches. So get, get, get jars and don't just get a few. I love that. Don't just get a few. Do not gather just Verse 4. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. He's saying, this is, these are your storehouses. This is your hand. This is your family. Shut the door and, and go to God. I love that he just said, what shall I do for you? What, what's in your house? What's in your hand? God, God cares about this woman. He cares about these kids. God cares about families. I love this picture of generational blessing, breaking that curse over her. So it says, verse 5, so when she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel, so the oil ceased. God completely fulfilled that that word in Deuteronomy 28, verse 8. Every single storehouse, every single jar, every single vessel. She probably went into the bathroom and got the little bathroom cups. Got the bowls and the spoons and the anything that could contain. She, this is such a picture of God's grace. He, he maxed maxed her carrying capacity out. He maxed every vessel that she had completely out. She probably was filling oil in her shoes. I'm going to ask her someday when I meet her in heaven, what, what did you pour, pour oil into when you knew you you're running out of space? There's not another, so the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. So it not only just paid the debt, it was so abundant that she was able to live on the rest. She was able to retire from this. That was such an abundant blessing. That grace paid every debt so abundantly that it, it, it took care of her and her whole family. That is such a picture of God's abundant grace. It doesn't just pay the debt, but it goes over and beyond there. It, it, it prepared them for the future. I remember when I, I was finishing my master's degree, I, I had a considerable amount of debt, student debt. I was reading something you know, in, in the newspaper that just such a problem it is with student debt today. I remember when I, when I finished my master's, and I knew um, the clock was ticking. I had to pay off this debt, and there's interest that's going to start kicking in. I wanted to pay it off quickly. And one of, my, one of my thoughts was, 
I remember when I, when I finished it, I, I, like, I applied for a credit card, but I couldn't get a credit card because of this debt. I said, you know, someday I want to I get married, I want to have a family, I want to have a house, and I, the creditors don't even sh- trust me with a credit card. <laughs> this is a problem. So I said, God, yeah. close my door. God, let's do this. I want this debt to be paid off in a year. I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm unemployed. I can blow hot air through a silver pipe. (laughs) But what what do I have? Well, I was unemployed, so I had time. (laughs) So in my free time, I got on free Craigslist and found free stuff that I could buy with my zero dollars in my bank account. And I went and got free stuff and I started selling it for a little bit more. $20, broken TV, sold it to someone for parts, $50. I used my free time, I used what was in my hand, which wasn't much. And I started doing something. As I, as I started getting free stuff and selling it for a little bit, I, I ended up starting making a little bit more money. I, I found some students, I found some young, young people and their parents who wanted to pay me to teach their young children how to blow hot air through a silver pipe. I started getting a little bit more in my hand. The oil began trickling a little bit. But then, then I, I found a, a watch on Craigslist. They, they were giving away some stuff. They were selling some stuff. And I saw they had a nice watch. I had a little, little bit of oil in my jar now. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe I'll just treat myself. It's okay to treat yourself once in a while. Maybe I'll buy a nice watch. I've been working hard. And uh, I was talking to the guy, and, he ter- and it turns out he sold it to someone else. And um, so I got on eBay. I thought, well, I'll try to find a deal on eBay. And this particular watch he sold, like brand new, um, they're like $500 at the store. It was a Movado watch. They're kind of cool looking. They have an all black face with a dot on the top. And um, so he'd sold it for like $200. So I got on eBay and I saw, yeah, quite a few of them go for around $200 at auction. But every now and then, there'd be one that would sell for 100 bucks. So I thought, well, I'm going to try to win an auction for $100. So I would sit at my computer. I'd set my timer, you know, to know when the auction would go off. And I'd get to my computer in the last two minutes. And I'd... Now I know there's like software that does that for you. So I'm, pro- I'm like bidding on things right now. God gives you a mind that you don't have to waste so much time doing certain things. Amen. Time is not free. It used to be free for me, but now I have a wife and kids and a job and a house and dogs. And <laughs> Time is more valuable to me than it was when I first started out. So I ended up winning an auction for 100 bucks, and I thought, oh, this is great. Maybe I'll wear this thing, enjoy it, but hey, I'll, I'll put it up on Craigslist and try to sell it for $200. And the first watch I got, I was, I was following the tracking, it got delivered at my apartment in the, in the mailbox area. And I went there, and, and someone had pried it open and stolen my mail, stolen my package. I lived in kind of a rough area of Houston. So I could have said, God, out of your mercy, you're afflicting me, and I'm just going to pull the Job card. But I said, no, God. This is the enemy that did this. 
If the enemy be found, if the thief be found, he shall pay back. Seven times. So I went and bought, I went and bought two watches after that. I bought two for $100 a piece because I'm going to make my money back, but I'm going I'm to get some more. I'm going to sell these things for 200 bucks. So I'll, I'll, at this point, I, I, I've invested $300 into this. Like pretty much all my oil is going towards this. But I'm, I'm expecting $400 to come back. Got these next two watches. I, I had them shipped to the main office of my apartment complex. Said, hey, you guys need to just keep these packages for me. They didn't know what they were getting themselves into because they, they received thousands of packages for me after this. I got two more for 100 bucks a piece. And I remember, I remember the, the first one I got, I put it on my wrist and I went to church that weekend and I lifted my hands up and worshiped God. I said, thank God that whatever my hand touches, whatever my wrist touches is blessed. That week I sold that one for $250. I made $150. And then shortly after that, I sold the next one for $200. I figured out how to double my money. And I kept at it and kept at it and kept at it until within a year, God helped me pay off all my student debt. So not only that, he didn't just pay off the debt. He taught me something that I could do in my free time and I figured out how to manage my time better with that stuff. So it enabled me to prepare for the future. It enabled me to buy a house before I even moved here to become a pastor. I bought my first house with eBay hustling money. <laughs> God always does things in abundance. He always goes over and beyond. Amen. Grace pays every debt abundantly. Not only that, grace breaks all of Satan's shackles. And the devil wants to chain you up. He wants to cuff you down. He wants to shackle you. He wants to tie you down. That's the devil that does it. Let's look at Luke 13. Luke 13, verse 10. There, there are a few things that try to chain children of God. The devil tries to chain up children of God. But Jesus can break every chain that Satan tries to chain you with. Legalism also tries to chain children of God. Luke 13, verse 10. It says, while he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. So just picture this woman for, for 18 years. It said it was a spirit of infirmity. This type of illness was a spiritual type of illness and said she couldn't even raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, I just love, I just love thinking about when Jesus saw this, she couldn't even look at him. It said she couldn't raise herself up. She couldn't see his face. I think when Jesus saw her, he just wanted to look at her in the eyes. He saw that woman and he, he, he stopped his sermon. I'd love to hear Jesus preach. I don't think he got through many of his sermons. And then just things, what circumstances would happen, legalism would happen, the devil would happen, and he'd have to stop his sermon and give an illustration of grace. 
an illustrated sermon. This woman couldn't even look up it. And I, I think, I don't think he was trying to prove a point. Trying, I think he just wanted to look at her in the eyes. He just loved that woman. He loved that daughter of Abraham. You know, he knew that Ab- Abraham saw this day. Abraham saw the day. Of Abra- I believe that Abraham knew things like this would happen. Abraham saw Jesus' day and rejoiced in it and was glad. He called to her and said, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Healing glorifies God, amen? She glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath. Jesus just, man, what an amazing picture of his grace, of this abundance of grace. And legalism rears its ugly head. Legalism fills people with indignation. They get upset when grace is on full display. You know, people of faith are always glad to see grace set people free. Faith and grace work hand in hand. He is filled with indignation. So Jesus answered him and said, hypocrite. Jesus was pretty... Savage. I want to do a series called Savage Jesus. And bring out all like the top 10 NFL, top 10 savage tackles of Jesus. Hypocrite! It's got an exclamation mark. I love that. He probably yelled it. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has, I love it, he said, Satan has bound this woman. He made it very clear where sickness comes from, where infirmities come from. They do not come from God. They come from Satan. That is a shackle from Satan. That is a shackle from the enemy. Satan has bound her. Think of it, for 18 years, she should be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. I I love that verse in Luke 13, verse 16. So ought not this one being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound. Jesus set an important theological precedent here in Luke 13, 16. The important theological precedent is this. Church is a great place to kick Satan's butt. If you can't do it at church, you can't do it anywhere. If you can't do it on a Sunday, if you can't do it on a Wednesday night, any time is the right time for grace to set people free. 
Grace breaks every shackle from the enemy. Grace wins every time. All the adversaries were put to shame. Jesus always defeats Satan. Grace always prevails over legalism. Truth always triumphs over a lie. I'm not worried about all the junk in the world, all the lies in the world, all the bondage in the world, because Jesus is the king of eternity. Jesus always wins. Grace always wins. And the truth always wins. The truth always lasts. The truth always endures. I could stop here, but I got one more point. And I want to share, I'll try to, I'll try to make it a snappy one. Is this grace always leads us to the Father. Grace always leads us to the Father. Let's look at Luke 15. We'll start in verse 11. This is the the story of the prodigal son, the riotous son. Luke 15, 11, it says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. I think there's something about the youngest sibling. The youngest sibling always wants to go the furthest. I remember of me and my three, the the oldest is always the most responsible. It's funny, there's like studies done on this, like like 95% of U.S. presidents were were the oldest sibling. And the youngest, I remember my youngest brother, he, he, when, we, when he was about time for him to graduate high school and go on, he wanted to go to college as far away as he could. I'm going to go till the ocean stops me. He went to New Jersey. And he's, he's always lived the further. And ben, it's, it's something about the youngest. So he gathered it all, wasted away with prodigal living, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. So this is a picture of someone at the bottom of the bottom of the bucket. Wasn't that like he he didn't just, he, he wished he could eat pork. If you talk about swine, you know, like swine, that, that is the filthiest creature to who Jesus was talking to. And he was feeding with them, he was living with them, he was, he was wishing he could eat just their pods. He would have gladly had just eaten the slop that was given to the pigs. And no one gave him anything. And when I was reading this, God, God spoke to me that no one gave him anything. He had joined himself to takers. He had surrounded himself with takers. Be careful who you join yourself to. Be careful who you party with. Some people are just takers, and they're going to take and take and take and take until you have absolutely nothing. But you should be joined to the Father. Our Father is not a taker. He is a giver. He does not give and take away. He gives, and he gives, and he gives, and he gives. 
Do not join yourself to takers. Be careful how much time you spend with takers. You need to be around givers. Be, be around people who, who shine the light of the Father, who is himself a giver. So it says, when he came to himself. I love what happens when he came to himself. What helped him come to himself was, was when he was thinking about the Father. He was thinking about the Father's goodness. He was thinking about the grace of his Father, the mercy. He was thinking about the Father, thinking about the goodness of God. Led him to repentance. He was just thinking about how good the father was, and that's how he came to himself. He just said, how many of my father's hired servants? They have bread enough and to spare, and I perish. He's saying they, they have enough bread, but they don't have just enough bread. They have bread to spare. My father, he, he's a father of grace, a father that gives, a father of abundance. Even these servants when they're given bread, when they're given, it, it, is in, it, it is always in abundance. He said, I will arise, go to my Father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, this is such a, a beautiful picture of abundant grace. Bring out the best robe, the very best robe, the robe that I only wear on special occasions. Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, and prepare the very best meal which scripturally is a fatted calf. Beef, it's what's for dinner. I saw this push that the world is pushing, that we shouldn't have beef. We should all eat worms for protein instead. That's not the father. That's not for me. No, thank you. I'm not going to live a life of eating worms. I guess John the Baptist ate locusts, so he didn't do it by choice. He did it by personality. Some people just have weird personalities, and that's why they eat certain things. Now, the older son, this, this is kind of a picture of legalism. Again, when, when grace is demonstrated when grace is poured out in, in abundance. Legalism, it's filled with indignation, right? Just like that ruler of the synagogue when Jesus healed that woman who was afflicted for 18 years. So the older son came out here, verse 28, it said he was angry, would not go, and therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, this father was, was the same gracious father to, to, to both sons. He was a father of grace, a father of mercy, a father of love, a father of abundance, a father that forgave. But this other son, the older son, couldn't see it. He couldn't comprehend. He couldn't get that revelation of the father's grace. He was trapped in legalism because he was focused on himself. 
He couldn't really see the Father, couldn't really comprehend the Father. Couldn't really tap into that revelation of the Father's grace because the focus was on himself. He said to his Father, lo, these many years, I have been serving you. This is what I've done. I've done all the right things. I've served you. I've never transgressed your commandment. I've kept your, your commandments. It, my relationship with you, it's been about me and what I do. This kept him from understanding who his father really was. It kept him from having a, a, a true relationship with his father. said, you never even gave me a young goat. I don't know why he wanted a, a young goat to eat. Legalism kind of, I'm only deserving of a young goat. Where's my young goat? You never even gave me my young goat just to, God, you never even gave me a little bit of prosperity or even a little bit of healing. You never gave me even a little bit of it. I just want a little bit. I just want... But he said, son, I love this. God, God is gracious to everyone. He wants everyone to experience his grace, everyone to experience his mercy. It doesn't matter if you are a prodigal or if you are a self-righteous hypocrite. He said, son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is now Found. The father always, he's always extending his love and compassion to both prodigals, to self-righteousness. And that, that's one thing that I'm like Jesus. Self-righteousness bothers me about more than anything. People who say they understand grace, but then they say really crazy things about God's mercy. That, that gets me wanting to throw tables over and get the whip and start being savage, Pastor Aaron. But I remember this, that God is still gracious and still merciful and still loving those types of people as well. So keep praying for those people. Amen. So this is my conclusion before Heather comes up here. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus wants you completely free to live the abundant life he has in store for you. In his grace, it frees us absolutely abundantly. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.